Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, featuring influencers, creatives, and thought leaders in the Twin Cities. And now, here is our host, Steve LeBall. And welcome to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. I'm Steve LeBeau, and we have three guests today. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We have with us uh, Trista Harris, president of uh, Future Good, formerly of the Minnesota Minneapolis Council Foundation. Minnesota Council on Foundations. Minnesota. Okay. You can take over the whole state. From the uh, Midwest Regional, uh, and we have uh, Tina Rexing, known for her T-Rex cookie company, which is like huge cookies. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's the <laughs> found. She's the owner, and we have Laura Pradam, Pradan. Did Lauren I say that? Pradan. Okay, and she's from Grow North, but she's here to talk about her special event coming up uh, during Startup Week, Food Ag Ideas Week. Okay, and we'll be talking. That'll be our agenda for today. We'll talk food, ag, and ideas. Yeah, perfect. But, uh, anyway, we'll start out with with um, Trista Harris. I mean, you're making a transition. Yes. And. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you how you got to that juncture in your life? For sure. So I've worked in nonprofits since I was 13 years old. 13? Um, I never you were one of those child workers. <laughs> For sure. Wow. Um, I always knew it was the direction. So I, I started on the nonprofit side and then became a foundation program officer and then ran a foundation and then ran an association of foundations. Um, And it just felt like uh, the time to really dig deep on what's coming next for people that do good for a living. So that's what I'm doing with my new company, Future Good. Future Good. So it sounds very magnanimous. (laughs) We're trying to build a better future. So I think we're sort of living in a time now where people are really worried about what's coming next. And I think what we've forgotten is that you create the future with the decisions that you make today. So I, I want... Everybody to be making better decisions today about what's what the future is going to look like. Okay, well that means you other two have to uh, think about that too. Um, uh, Lauren, so how did you get to be a food ag ideas person? How did you start growing north? Well, I kind of fell into food. Uh, I you fell into food. I fell into food. Just conjuring up that image. Yes, picture whatever food you're thinking about. Um, Fell into food in the sense that I. Also thought about, you know, think about the future and and food systems and had the fortune to originally, well, not be from here and moved here 15 years ago and started at General Mills and very quickly saw the scale in which a large food company operates and started thinking about the food system and the impact that it has and was very personally inspired by my mom. My mom was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease in high school and had to change her diet in order to Mm. transform her health. And so... You sort of have things come together, especially when you're 22 and just figuring things out and you're inside a very big company going, hey, like I can be the voice of that, of my mom, of other people. And where is food going? And think about some of the now I see trends and thoughts that she was imbuing in me. So that's something that has inspired me as I have built my food career 
And now with Grow North, which I've been in leading for the last two years, really thinking about ways we can accelerate our entrepreneur and innovation ecosystem here in Minnesota because our entrepreneurs, and Tina will speak on that, mm-hmm. our entrepreneurs and innovators are the ones who are identifying new ideas and ways of thinking that are really, in my belief, going to transform our future. Hmm. So, so you got food and ideas. I didn't hear any ag stories. Well, you can't make food without the ag. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, there. Just throw me in some food. And then we have, well, speaking of food, I just had a cookie yesterday, and it was huge. It weighed about a half a pound mm-hmm. uh, from Tina Rexing. She gave it to me. Yes. Now, did, did, like, did you eat the whole thing by yourself? Well, no, I shared some with my wife, uh, what was left over by the time I got home. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, so how did you get it to be, to be the cookie queen? Well, I used to be a competitive baker. I competed at the state fair level for about 17 years. Really? Did you did you win ribbons? Yes, I have a number of ribbons. Um, I oh. got to beat uh, Marjorie Johnson a couple times, so I did a little dance of joy when that happened. Um, and she is she's the, famous for that? Marjorie is like the most decorated uh, state fair baking competitor um, okay. in history. <laughs> so, so she's the Kirby Puckett of baking. Basically, yeah. Um, but I used to compete, and my background's in corporate. I worked at Target for a number of years. I worked at Northwest Airlines, Thomson Reuters, the big companies in Minneapolis and Minnesota. Um, and in my competitions, I would bring in the baked goods to my staff who would eat them. Oh, they're your practice. They were basically my, my trial judges. Mm-hmm. And then based on their feedback, I would make tweaks. And so they would always say, "What, well, Tina, why aren't you doing this for a living? Um, and so I had like this midlife crisis, my mid forties, and I said, and I quit my job on my birthday, and I said, on your birthday, on my birthday, um, I said I'm gonna quit. Didn't have a plan B. I just told, went home and told my husband I was gonna quit. Um, <laughs> and I started the company two months later. I had like a, a come to Jesus really after watching all of the games of Game of Thrones. Um, episodes, and <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going to start a cookie company. So I sold my first T-Rex cookie May of 2015. Wow, that's not long ago. No. How no. many cookies have you sold since then? Do you- probably, I drive a Mini Cooper, so I do like the math in Mini Coopers. I want to say <laughs> probably sold- almost six Mini Coopers worth of heavy cookies. So. I was going to say how many oh. pounds of cookies. A <laughs> lot. That's over, probably over 15,000 pounds of cookies. Gosh. Yeah. Well, that's great. I didn't know uh, Mini Coopers are so uh, yeah. transportable for cookies. <laughs> Gosh. Well, um, there, there are a couple of tangents here because, first of all, Lauren, you're talking about food. Tina makes food. And then also, uh, I, actually, Synapse is sponsoring an event coming up in a couple of weeks on October 3rd, and both Trista and uh, Lauren will be speakers at that. And that's talking about envisioning a future innovation festival. So that'll be, we got the ideas. I hope we have some food there, too. And, uh, we can talk to Tina. We'll talk to Tina. <laughs> that's, that's just it. We'll have cookies, Cookie and cookies and milk for the uh, for the food at that. No better way to plan the future. <laughs> the future. So, um, Trista, I, I remember talking to you a couple of years ago when you were very interested in the future, and I'm glad somebody is because a lot of things just seem to be happenstance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I've lived my life. It's just like <laughs> I turn around and it's like, oh, my gosh, I, 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 I need a new job. I need to do this. I need to do that. But you kind of planned yours out in advance. You, you, it's like, well, I'm going to do this. Well, when you were 13, right. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then you did it. My gosh, are you a clairvoyant? I am not a clairvoyant. I do have a magic eight ball at my desk. So I, I use oh. that as backup for thinking about future trends. 
Um, I don't think it's about predicting exactly what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. I think it's being thoughtful about what you want the future to look like. So if you spend your time envisioning what success looks like in your career or on the issues and causes that you care about. So what would the world look like if we fully ended hunger? How, how would it, um, how would you walk through your day to day? What would be different? And once you envision that future and you start to back up and envision what it would take to actually get there, it probably isn't the things that we're doing every single day. Those are getting us incremental changes. They're not actually solving the big, big problems. And so I try to get leaders to really think about what would problems look like if they're fully um, solved so that you can start to think about new ways to get to those solutions. So if you look at those things, then you can get a handle on it mm-hmm. and not let things just happen. Yep. You can take more control. Is that? I, I bet that ties into the whole agricultural issue because we hear every, every day that um, – the environment is is getting spoiled. That there we're growing too much stuff. People are eating too much meat. Yeah, well, all these I, things. I think it brings up a lot of good points because if you think about entrepreneurship, and I focus specifically in the food and agriculture sectors here throughout Minnesota, but if you think about entrepreneurship, innovation, building ecosystems and community, I think there's a we need to think about it a little more intentionally and not wish it to happen. Right. We have to be actively engaged in making it happen. I so think it's not a you're not simply a dreamer. Well, I think you can, I I think it's, as you said very eloquently, you can dream it, like you can dream it in the sense that like we are going to have a thriving, growing, incredible community here that's going to cultivate new ideas and new people. But it's taking that dream and then saying, okay, well, if that's what we want, what are we going to do? And wishing is not action. So then what are the, who are the individuals? What do we need to do? What are the steps to get folks engaged in that process? And the more that I've been doing this work the last two years and meeting with you know, hundreds of entrepreneurs at this point, you start going, we all have a role in that. I think that's what's really fun and, and exciting about ecosystem work. Yep. And you, I mean, you've done this in yep. your entire career is that everyone matters then for sure in, in building that vision and creating that vision versus saying, well, we need one thing to make it happen. At least in my opinion. Yeah. And I mm. think to your point there, when you develop a clear vision of what success looks like, then everybody knows what they're working towards. Mm-hmm. So if we can't have alignment, there's a there's a saying like, if we can get a man to the moon, how come we can't end property? Because nobody has agreed on what that means. Is it is it median income? Is it $10,000 a year? Is it only U.S. citizens? Is it only families? We haven't come to agreement. And so it's really easy, not easy, but when you're saying we want to send somebody to the moon, you know where the moon is. You can tell, did they get there or did they not get there? Right. And I think for a lot of big issues that we're working on, if you craft that vision, then all of the partners in the ecosystem can start to move together. And suddenly that big vision isn't so difficult because there's a lot of people working together. And you, you can plan deliberately. I mean, we know where the moon is and, and we just have to figure out how to get there. Now, Tina, running a business, mm-hmm. the future means everything to you. It does, um, it does, but you have to be, from a small business owner's perspective, you have to be able to pivot and change directions quickly. Um, I think that's where a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs get caught up is this is what they want to do and this is where they want to go. But then the moment you get a roadblock, a lot of folks who aren't used to pivoting and changing directions, they really struggle with what they're going to do with your business. Um, since my background has been in corporate, I think I kind of used a lot of my corporate skill set to navigate um, small business environments. Um, and being an entrepreneur, I can 
figure out how to network and figure out who I need to talk to when a roadblock gets set up. And that's one of the big things that um, entrepreneurs get um, get caught up in is who's going to help me. And a lot of the, the fallacy with um, starting your own business is that you're in it by yourself. You know, you're a small business owner, entrepreneur. It's like it's yours, right? But really it's all about who you can find to help you navigate through it. And even if you have a plan, it might not go that way. You just have to be able to change directions. And so I think Tina brings up a really great point because no one is in isolation. Mm -hmm. And if we want businesses like hers to grow and be incredibly successful, and she is the world leader in massive cookies, (laughs) then we, we as a community need to create this sort of interconnected web so that she doesn't have to spend weeks finding the right person to talk to about X, Y, or Z. It has to be more apparent, and she can plug into that community. But then it goes back to your point of, if that's our goal, then we can, it's articulating that as our goal to create that, and then we rally as a community to build that for her. But sometimes we find, though, that being in this business, and especially in the food business, it's very competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can run into people who are more than happy to lay down and help you move on to the next thing. But there's a fair amount of people that I've run into when I started the company who don't want to help you because they see you as a threat to their existence. So I think that's where um, looking into the future and kind of like being on the same page is really hard mm-hmm. because it's hard to say – that I can trust you and you're going to help me or are you going to help give me information that will actually trip me up on purpose? So uh, Another roadblock. Yes. Well, it seems to be in this era in the Twin Cities, I, I've heard the word coopetition from some of the young entrepreneurs, people that are will be gathering for Startup Week, those, those, those types. And so that I think generationally there seems a greater sense of working together even though you are the competition. Mm-hmm. Have you found that? Are you, do you get along better with the younger crowd or I the older do. crowd? It's actually funny because um, I think I'm at that weird middle age where I can get along with both sides. But then I feel like the people I've actually struggled with the most in terms of actually cooperating with me and helping me as I try to grow the business are the ones from an older generation that wants to um, protect what they see as their own space. And, and if they see me creeping in on their space, then I become like the enemy. Wow. Does, does that carry over, too, in terms of uh, the ability to, well, think environmentally and ecologically about things and also to think about the future? Are young people doing it better than, than older generations? I think young people have, have had to be more networked, both with each other and with ideas. And what the Internet gives us is an unlimited marketplace of ideas. And so I think for the older generation, there was this idea that my idea is my capital and my thing that can can um, that will make my business be successful. My property. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think for young people, um, it's more of a feeling of uh, an idea is actually useless. It's the ability to implement the idea, and so I may have an idea, but if I don't actually have the capacity to move it forward, then it isn't worth anything. So I'm not losing anything if I talk to you about my idea. And if you can help me think about how to implement it and move it forward. And I also think it's a bit of a mindset. Um, One of the things that I'm really struck by is when groups of, you think competitors come together. So we're going to talk about this at Food Ag Ideas Week. We have a session. It's an idea. Uh, Well, we we have a session on agriculture, innovation, and craft brewing. Mm. 
And the craft Minnesota Craft Brewers Guild has 140 breweries and counting that come together and they collaborate in a cooperation sort of way. So on one hand, you would go like, well, they compete. You've got every neighborhood tap rooms and Summit and Surly and so on. But they have been able to say, well, the pie is bigger than my my neighborhood. The pie is bigger than Minnesota. Some of us want to get really big. Some of us want to just stay in our neighborhoods. But we all want collectively to have this Minnesota craft brewing brand to mean something. And so I think if you have that mindset that collectively we can make something mean something where everybody wins, then I think some of the things that Tina's describing are become less apparent. They're still there. But I think that that also mindset shift and understanding how networked things are, that you're not alone, that you will need help. To me, that's a mindset in addition to kind of generational. I think what separates the craft brewers to the baking industry is that the baking industry has been there forever, Mm. where the craft brewers and the beer makers are new. And so they're all together finding their way through the system, where in the bakeries now I'm finding are a lot of them are closing um, they can't Be- because why? Um, just the overhead to maintain a bakery is really expensive. Um, there's just a lot of startup expenses in order to start a bakery. So my my bakery is a little different because I'm niche and I only make cookies. I don't make anything else. Um, but the bakery industry is just really tight in terms of this is the group of people who belong to our group, mm-hmm. and it's really hard for people like me to penetrate that. Um, that group of people versus craft brewing. So I've kind of like glommed on to other types of businesses. Like, um, I don't know if you know Sarah from Sarah's Tipsy Pies. Mm-hmm. Um, she only makes pies. Mm. And so we've. Uh, <laughs> That's a good collaboration. You know, well, I like she's, that. she's not really competition. <laughs> she doesn't see me as competition. And so when we kind of gather together with all these niche bakers, that's how we can kind of like form our little support group. Mm. I think one of the pieces on that is there is this idea that there is the right way to do it. And here's the network of people that do it exactly like this. Um, And that's how businesses go extinct. And I think that Kodak is a great example of that, of a long-term company that actually invented digital cameras and shelved it because they thought it would sort of hurt their core business. It did. It hurt their film business. Yep. And so it hurt their whole business because the whole thing shut down. So I think it's really easy for um, people to say, the pie is this big. Here is the way that it has to work. Here is the way that we move forward. Um, and we're moving towards a place where the world is changing really, really quickly. And if you can't be flexible and if you can't be nimble in that process and develop really strong alliances to move you through, you're you're not going to exist in five years. Right. And another thing is size. It's much easier for a, a small company to be that uh, flexible to turn around on a dime. Large companies... Um, the the I think the worst ones are, are the public companies that think quarter to quarter. They can only think as far as their next uh, earning statement. But I was at a table once with the then CEO of Cargill, and and I said, "How far do you have a plan ahead?" And he says, "We have a 100-year plan." To which I go, "100 years? I don't know what I'm doing next week." Yeah. You're listening to uh, Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We have with us uh, Trista Harris, who's just forming a new company, Future Good, and it kind of explains it all. It's a good name. Uh, and Tina Rexing is here, and she has a good name too, T-Rex Cookies, because they're giant. And Laura Potom is with Grow North, and I think that's a very positive thing. Lauren, we'll be right back. Synapse, 
Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back here talking uh, food, the future, big cookies, and all these things. And uh, well, I'm working up an appetite. You say you forgot the cookies at home, uh, Dina? I didn't have time to stop by to bring cookies. <laughs> cookies are currency, so usually I bring them to everywhere I go. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Next time we meet. Well, we'll have to have you on the uh, podcast again soon. For sure. So um, you had a question, uh, Lauren? Oh, I was just asking Tina and curious about, you know, we talk about how much we love local businesses. We want to support Minnesota. We want to support the small, the local guy. And then at times I have found there's a disconnect between wanting that and then the actual participation in our community where are they, are people buying your cookies? I mean, they are more expensive than other cookies. Are they, are they frequenting your storefront? Is it, are you seeing the desire of what people want translating into sales? I, I do, and I think part of it is because the way I started was super grassroots. I sold my first cookie at a farmer's market. So, and a lot of people, I've actually put my story out there on social media where I took my corporate job, gave up my six-figure income, and I started this little cookie company. And a lot of people are drawn to that story. And so I think by drawing the people into the story, then you draw them into the product. Um, I, people are buying the cookies. A lot of restaurants actually right now are focusing on buy local and and show, showing that on their menus. It's like, oh, hey, here are local people. Even the big food distributors, Cisco, Reinhardt, U.S. Foods, have a section now of local products, um, and I'm part of that now. So I am small, but I'm growing. But at the same time, I'm kind of conflicted, right? Because you're, like, trying to stay small, cute, and local, but then you're trying to grow the company, and then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you spend the time quitting corporate and getting away from the man, and then you become the man. So I think that's like the hardest, it's such a conundrum for me. It's like turning into your mom. Completely, yeah. So uh, do you buy from local companies even though it's more expensive? Can be more expensive. Well, you know, I have a lot of local partners. So small local partners, like Gregory's Foods is kind of a big company, but they're local. Um, I try to, when I'm buying packaging and whatnot for my company, I try to stay local. Um, but at the end of the day, as a small business owner, we have to look at our bottom line. And sometimes it's cheaper to buy from Uline. And you feel bad about it, but, you know, to buy from another company would cost me 10 15% more, and it actually comes down to how much money I have. You have to survive. Mm-hmm. Now, I can understand a business model where you sell cookies, but uh, Trista, you have a business model where you sell future awareness. <laughs> I mean, how do you package that as it a, you know... Sure. Well, I have two two lines of business. One is about helping organizations become more future focused. So foundations, nonprofits, and social purpose businesses are the areas that I'm really focused on. Because that's what you are familiar with. Yeah, that's that is my sort of bread and butter and place that I I love to spend time. So um, so instead of um, uh, Trista's business or instead of uh, um, uh, Tina's business, your business has been giving away money. Yeah, for sure. For most of my career, it's been figuring out how to invest in communities in a new way. Hmm. Um, I think for many of those organizations that are doing good in the world, either on the for-profit or nonprofit side, understanding which trends are going to impact the work that they care about is really important and help changing mindset 
to really move to the place where people are becoming flexible and not just reactive when things happen. The other line of my business is working with individuals that are trying to increase their future impact. So I host both women's mastermind retreats and CEO retreats to help individual leaders think about their own personal path. So what is, what's the long-term impact that you want to have? What do you want it to say in your obituary about the sort of change that you created in the world? Um, and then I build it in a mastermind format so that you are surrounded by a group of people that are also in a period of transition. I, I have a feeling that our, our friends and family love us exactly the way that we are. And so when you try to change, they're like, how about you don't do that? Um, hmm. But if you are with a, a small group of you know six to eight people that are also in this period of thinking about how to deepen their impact and change to do that, they can support you as you make that transformation um, and you can support them. So my, my very first mastermind happened while I was a Bush fellow and I had three goals during the fellowship. One was to learn more of the the sort of hard skills of futurism. So I went to Oxford and learned about scenario planning and spent a bunch of time in Silicon Valley talking to sort of technological futurists. The second goal was making all that stuff that I learned easy to understand for regular people that are doing day-to-day work. And then the third goal was to not die at my desk. And the, oh, the staff at because you need your obituary right away. Then. For sure. So the staff at Bush said, You're, "We see a lot of progress on the first two, not a lot of progress on the third goal." Hmm. Um, and so I was trying to find a retreat, and they all sounded exhausting. So it was like go out into the woods, ten hours a day of programming, sleep in a bunk bed. I was like, I don't want to do any of those things. <laughs> Um, and Meditate on a tree. Now. Yeah, like none of that. So I um, I rented a mansion in California and brought six women with me. And we had about a day, uh, an hour or two every day of programming that was about deepening your impact. Um, but it gave people the space that they needed to think about what they were trying to do. And I mm. think the, the biggest piece that's missing for many of our lives is the time and space to actually think. And right. so my retreats give that space. And the first group... Um, within a year, two had completely changed sectors. Um, two had started businesses. Uh, one had decided at the retreat to run for public office and is now a, a Hennepin County Commissioner candidate. Go, Irene. Um, oh, uh, uh, so I think. Irene Fernando? Yep. Yep. So I think what really happens is that you need the time and space to think. And when people have that transformational and amazing things happen. Boy, well, that, that is so true that. Uh, Life is going by so fast. I mean, especially if you have kids, which I think a lot of you do, and, yeah. and I have one. Yeah. Um, you're doing so much. I was talking to a businessman a, a while back, and he said it used to be you'd come home, you'd read the paper, <laughs> maybe have dinner with your family. And now, he says, you, there's no time to read the paper. It just goes by so fast. Right. And so I'm glad that in your track for uh, food, ag, and ideas, you have the ideas in there. So the little reflection is built into your your process. Yeah, so the whole impetus behind Food Ag Ideas Week was that as I've been working in the food and ag sector here within Minnesota, um, to Trista's point, it is people are working tirelessly, entrepreneurship, and it is a 24-7 job. And then also this importance of connectivity and community is just all the more critical because you're spending so much time trying to find the next connection versus like if it's in front of you, then we can do that. So the idea was how do we bring all these different communities together where you have Fortune 500 executives literally down the road, you have entrepreneurs, you have nonprofit leaders like the Bush Foundation, you have all these different groups who are focused on different sectors, including food and agriculture. How could we crash communities and bring them together and bring to, um, to the forefront, innovative ideas, 
great speakers that are here. Because I think that's one of the things that Minnesota needs to we, – we don't like to puff up our chests on things. We don't like to talk about ourselves. So I always say, like, well, I'll talk about you. <laughs> if it makes you uncomfortable, then I will say you're both amazing. You'll do the breath And then – yeah, and then I'll create the platform so that these individuals can shine and talk about things and everything from craft brewing to hemp to small food brands to, to investment capital – and then build in the networking time so that folks can meet each other and do that. And so that's where the idea came from. And now we have six partners. We're going to have over 30 events. Mm. Um, it's They're individually ticketed, so you can register and build your own schedule. And it's really accessible through a whole bunch of partners that have helped subsidize the whole thing. So that's the idea is to get folks together and make space for that thinking because it's the it's the first thing to go off the list because you've got to think about orders, you've got to think about employees, you've got to think about this, that, and the other. But right. if we can make the time for that space and make that connection that could be that big sale or could be that mentor or whatever it may be, it could lead to something transformational for a business. Now, I know you think all the, all the meetings are, are great, but is there a single idea that stands out that just kind of amazes you that you've come across during your planning? Um, I think... We have a pretty incredible lineup of speakers so that are going to talk about interesting things. So, you know, we kick off the week with a conversation between Jeff Harmoning, who's the CEO of General Mills, and Carrie Miller from NPR. And they'll talk about our ecosystem and where are we going, um, which is really exciting. And it's a free event, so everyone should come. We've got a great happy hour at Finnegan's, also free, so everyone can talk over a beer. Craft and beer. then yeah, craft beer, of course. Um, with a really unique business model, which is exciting to talk about. So I think to me, the the idea that I'm the most excited about is that if you look at our website and you see the speakers, not everyone agrees. And it was very intentional where you bring in different people who have different perspectives because issues are complicated. And I go to a lot of events where everyone is sort of saying the same thing and we're all in it together because we all agree. And at times it's it's inch more interesting if you put a large production corn farmer in the same room as a organic farmer, a leading organic farmer of vegetables and with very different practices and talk about the future of farming together because they're going to think about that in different ways, but there's some underlying values that they all worry about in terms of making money. They're both family businesses. They're proud of Minnesota. They believe in what they're doing but it's different. So we'll see some things come out that I think will be really interesting and hear ideas that will make people, I hope, think differently, but also get excited about participating in this community. Boy, I was at an ag event in the Twin Cities here a couple of years ago. And I mean, it was all full of farmers and farmer types and people from co-ops and things. And one of the speakers was from General Mills. And they almost got into a fight because they were mad at General Mills because on their products, they're saying this is a non-GMO mm-hmm. product. And among all the farmers, they agree that it's okay to genetically modify the crops because it's better for, you know, greater productivity and greater health and all those things. And so on one hand, the General Mills guy said, yeah, we agree with that, but the consumers want to hear mm-hmm. <laughs> about the stuff that's non-GMO just for, for sales purposes. Is that you going to talk about GMOs? I'm sure we don't have a panel on that, but I'm sure that that those types of topics will come up throughout the week because they're they're things that people are wrestling with and talking about. And there are different opinions on that issue. And that's okay. And what I think is interesting about Minnesota 
is that you have leaders on both sides of the spectrum on that and many other issues. So, so it's we something can to talk about to yeah. So so it's it's a it's an interesting thing to have here where you have leaders on both sides of the coin who could then come together and talk about things. Who, you know, I go back to as you envision a future, it can it's probably not binary and it's complicated. So if you bring different perspectives together and actually have a conversation, which is much which is hard, right? Um, because we have to all live together, right? And and I don't. I'm just not a believer there's one answer to your point of entrepreneurs have to pivot a thousand times. But if we can get these different perspectives together and not yell at each other, right. it's hard in 2018, right. then, well, you know, we can start thinking about the things we do agree on to a future state that we think is, you know, collectively what we want and then see how we can get there. Well, well Tina, do you have time in your business to stop and think? No, I don't. It, you know, I, I, I read an article where you have to choose three between the business, your family, friends, and fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you kind of have to like choose, right? And so I've kind of chosen fitness, family, and I've made my friends part of my business, so I've kind of like multitasked that. But um, I do yoga at least three times a week in order to stay sane. Um, But that's one thing I kind of miss is when I was working at Target, I would have like that hour or so a day I can wander the skyways and kind of just think where when you're running a small business you kind of it's on your mind 24 7 yeah. um, just because you you have it's yours it's your, your baby right so it's really hard to say I'm just going to put this baby down for a while and then the future looms at, at different points I'm sure there's some things that have to be done tomorrow and some things you have to think where you're going to be in a year but then for you particularly where are you going to be on January 1st I don't know yet so, yeah, and that's one of those things that I, I didn't plan for because on my business plan, I'm going to be in the space that I um, found two years ago on university. And about four months ago, I found out that my building that I put a lot of money into moving into and renovating is being torn down. So um, that's being it's being torn down and turning into condos. And so I'm being displaced for a couple of years. So right now I'm in the literally in the middle of trying to find a new home to bake the cookies, and um, well, yeah. that sounds so uh, warm and sentimental. I need a home to bake the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am looking, but but right now it's actually allowing me. I'm trying to look at the bright side of this. Um, well, that's part of positive attitude towards yeah, the future. I'm trying. I'm. Let me tell you, there's been many nights where I just kind of break down and have like a meltdown on the floor, and it's totally. I've talked myself that it's completely okay to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's allowing me the opportunity to sit back and kind of re-examine my business because um, a lot of people know I only started three years ago, and so being from where I was selling by myself with no employees to where I am having a brick and mortar and wholesaling to a bunch of places. Um, I grew at a pace that wasn't comfortable for me and probably went directions that I didn't intend to go, but I went because that's where the waves were taking me. Um, You're a surfer. (laughs) Now I am. (laughs) Um, So it's going to be giving me the opportunity to say, you know what, maybe this line of business isn't the best line to go, but now it's giving me the time to do that. So this is where the ecosystem person in me is going, okay, so all you people who are listening to this, oh, yeah. who are in real estate or city of Minneapolis folks who want this amazing woman's company to continue, yeah. this is where the community rallies and says, okay, what other spots are available? Where do we want 
this business to thrive and be successful. So that's that to me is where then a community starts to rally and go, okay, how do we nurture these businesses where pivots happen? You couldn't have foreseen that happening. So, but if you want to stay in business and grow this yep. thing, then let's help her figure that out. Do you do you simply want a place where you can uh, call home and bake cookies, or do you want to have a, a a retail operation out of that space? Well, part of the contingency of me, uh, the developer asking me to leave for a couple of years, is that I'm actually coming back in two. Um, so they're building a condominium unit, and underneath it, there's retail location where they're saving one for me. So that's 2021, right? So I will have a storefront early 2021. Meanwhile, from the 2019 to then, I'm going to have to figure out, maybe I'll just go to Hawaii for a couple of years. Um, <laughs> that's a great idea. Isn't it a great idea? That's very that. future. Well, they need cookies idea. there. That's great. <laughs> um, that's right. You could figure out some new recipes with macadamia nuts like or something. It. So I'm actually going to sit down with my team because I think the hardest part for me is I have a team that's pretty much been with me since I started I have 12 employees now, and to have to tell them that at the end of the year, you guys might not be with me, but if you can find something else to do and then come back to me in 2021, you know, and it's I feel like it's part of my responsibility to help them find places to work also. So that's where I'm kind of reaching out to the food community. I'm like, I have these awesome employees who wants, you know, four baristas and a chef or something like that. So I can actually be responsible for the people who have been like given their lives to me and helped me run my business. Hmm. Well, as a consumer who gets addicted to different types of food, what about all the customers that rely on their monster cookie every day from, from T-Rex? So that's actually my cookies. Thanks to a distribution through Reinhardt U.S. Foods and Cisco can be found in about 20 restaurants. Okay. Um, so a guide for the addict. Yeah, there's a place, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm going to miss interfacing with customers. Mm. Um, I still plan to have a presence at the farmer's markets because that's where I get to, like, be one with my customers. Um, and that's something I'm always trying to tell other entrepreneurs that I mentor is if you tell your story to other people and they kind of understand that you made hot sauce because it's somebody else's in your family's recipe and you really love it, take that story and share it with other people because – what I'm doing is kind of, actually, I'm creating like a little video of the history of T-Rex Cookie mm-hmm. and kind of showing them um, what's going to happen to me at the end of the year and kind of just sharing that story with people because I think that I don't think I would be where I'm at today mm-hmm. had I not kind of threw my guts out there for everyone kind of mm-hmm. to kind of see. Um, a lot of people now can understand that having a small business is not as easy as it seems from the outside. Hmm. Wow. Talking with um, uh, Tina Rexing, owner of T-Rex Cookies. We're also here with Trista Harris, president of a new operation, Future Good, also the name of her upcoming book. And we're here with Lauren Padan. Said it right? Hey. Uh, with Grow North and her looking forward to her food, ag, and ideas week coming up October 8th through 12th. We'll be right back after this. Synapse. Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back on Synapse Think Tank of the Air. And boy, we're doing a lot of thinking today. I mean, ideas, that's, uh, that's part of the whole repertoire, except for the cookies. Uh, think about cookies. Well, I mean, you have <laughs> ideas. ideas about cookies, but uh, I mean, it's <laughs> solid. You know, cookies are, are so solid and, and tasty. And um, boy... 
Here's a random question. How much sugar goes into a half pound cookie? Oh my goodness. I do not <laughs> I want to there's know like that. You know, almost okay, close your, <laughs> 24 your pounds fingers. of sugar goes into one of my batches, so I can't kind of tell you how many. Okay, so you think in terms of batches I can and tell you how many calories. Coopers. I can tell you how many calories are in one of the cookies you no, just No, I don't want I don't want to hear that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. Well, that that's how people some people are about the future or anything else. They don't want to know. Sure. And food how many? Well, that's what they say. You don't want to know what's in a hot dog, right, or a sausage, or. Well, I think we're now in an age where people want to know more about their food than ever before. Actually, I mean, I think the questions that we're raising about how our food is grown—I mean, everything that Tina talked about with tell your story, like warts and all—like that is a, a relatively new thought in how yeah. businesses are run. They used to want to cover up stuff. Yeah, well, I think more people just—if food was very functional, so you didn't really care. There was always a group of people who did. But I think of the mass consumer now where it arrived. You know, your meat was in cellophane. That that was the end of it. No one really understood it was part of a cow. Like, even asking the question of sugar in a cookie. Like, well, a cookie is grows on trees. Like, <laughs> it's, it, it's but now, now we're in a whole world where it's made by a person who has 12 employees and is important in our community. And what's in it matters. And, and kind of that whole... This whole idea, I mean, you spoke about it beautifully with the whole self and thinking about that, that translates into business development and making, whether it's making cookies or it's having a hydroponics farm or whether it's having switchel or whatever, whatever product, you know, whatever you're creating, people want to know more. And there's a curiosity there and a, a feeling of community that I, I think we haven't seen in a really really long time. I mean, I'd be curious about your perspective. Well, we have more conscious consumers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big trend. Even for very large companies, there are um, consumers are saying, okay, where are you investing? Who are you employed? Who are you employing? What do your policies look like? Um, What are your values as a company? And that isn't what we were asking before. And so I think people are really trying to um, on the big company side, clean up some of those processes because they know that that consumers are asking for it. And then on the small business side, that's really how a lot of these companies are are developed. And, you know, in, in our house now we have two entrepreneurs, but my husband was the first one to sort of um, jump into that space. And he was a high school administrator for 14 years and then decided um, that he was sick of suspending black kids all the time. That was the majority of his his job and seeing educational disparities up close and personal really starts to eat you up on the inside. Um, and so he started an office supply company, and his office originally was based in North Minneapolis. He still has a really strong commitment to hiring residents of North Minneapolis. Um, and what happens in that process as he's developing relationships with with consumers is you may be buying a chair from me or paper or pens or whatever, but here's how these dollars then amplify throughout the community, and here's the change that happens as a result of it. So I, I think we're moving to a new era where there's a, that's a lot more important. And, and so the story that he tells builds loyalty with the consumers. For sure. Yep, because if you have a similar choice, you can spend about the same amount of money. I'm going to want to spend money with a, a place that I feel like is moving my values forward. And even with the very large companies, what they're starting to do is to hire tier two vendors that are often people of color-owned businesses that are able to distribute their products at the same cost. Um, but for the consumer, they know that they're actually strengthening the capacity of that that consumer in that process. So I, I think it's a it's a good time to be a small business owner because I think consumers are really supporting in a way that they haven't in the past. 
And I think that's another generational change. I did a survey at my previous job, and, and the young entrepreneurs are more concerned about having a social impact or a meaning with their business. And not, it's not just all about the money. Right. Well, um, from, my, <clears throat> from my business perspective, um, transparency is really big for me. So I have an open kitchen. Um, and what, what does that mean? That means you can see into it. And oh. you, can see, <laughs> you can see the dough being made. You can see the ingredients sitting on the shelf. Um, old school kitchens, you know, it's behind the door and you actually don't know what's back there and what the people look like. Um, Who knows what's in the cookie? Yeah, so you can see the butter being melted, 12 pounds of it, um, <laughs> going into these cookies. And but you're the opposite of the state fair. Completely. So you kind of know how everything's being made. And I think that's that goes along with just running businesses, is that people these days want to know everything about you as a small business owner. Um, which is, for me, good and bad. Um, I'll throw it out there. Yes, I'm a Republican. Um, I'm a unicorn in Minneapolis is like the only Republican small business owner. But, you know, once you start talking about your politics and the way you think about certain social justice issues, it becomes mixed into your business. And it's, it's a risk, right? But I think that my customers appreciate the fact that um, I'm willing to talk about it and we'll have debates. We might have different opinions in my shop of whether or not I should be sharing certain things or talking about certain things like minimum wage and how I feel about that. Um, but at least they know I'm not going to be closeted about the way I, I think. They can just come and ask me and I'll tell you um, because that's just part of who I am as a business owner. So what you're doing with your business, it's not just you and yourself. You're connected with everybody. You have your employees, you have your consumers, and the community at large that you have to kind of contend with. You're in a context. Yeah, completely. But I think it's it's to my benefit not to hide anything from anybody um, in terms of how I feel about certain issues. Because um, it's one thing, and my husband actually came, he and I disagreed on the fact on whether or not I should bring politics or my personal opinions about certain issues to the forefront um, in, in the name of T-Rex Cookie. It's mm. very, um, it's very risky thing to do because there are some customers who have written me hate mail that, oh, I'm not going to frequent your company because of X, Y, and Z. Mm. Um, it's interesting to hear that kind of perspective. But on the flip side, people really appreciate the fact that I can speak about certain things and have a logical, maybe sometimes not super logical, but at least a civil <laughs> conversation with other people. Decently logical. Yes. <laughs> I think that consumers are looking for that authenticity. It is worse if you um, believe a company shares your values or is, is doing a certain kind of thing in the community. Um, and then you sort of dig a little deeper and you go, that doesn't match. And so I think consumers are so hungry for that of like, who are you really? What does this mean? Does this match with the change that I want to see in the world? And even when a, um, a company who I used to run, the, the Headwaters Foundation, we used social screens for our investments. And our What does that mean? Social screens means you can sort of screen in or out things that match your value. And because we were funding a lot of environmental work, um, we made sure that we had screens that were tied to the environment. And we were investing in an alternative energy portfolio. And um, one of the companies, the name I didn't recognize, and so I asked our investment manager, like, what it, what is this company? He said, oh, they're doing fracking in North Dakota. Mm. And I'm like, we have, we have grantees that are actively working against that right now. It can't be in our portfolio. He's like, but the return's been really great. And so 
what we had to do as an organization is say, actually, our values are more important than what that return is. And if our donors were digging deep, not even that deep, into into where we were investing, they'd be really disappointed. And so we have to make sure, regardless of what the cost is, that we are living within that value set. And so let's let's make sure we're consistent. And companies that are consistent, organizations that are consistent, people sort of find their place and they support those organizations. Hmm. I think the thing that it makes me think about, Tina, to your point is, you know, everyone has a platform. You know, I think we we look at times to larger organizations or larger companies, but in a world of social media and in a world where there's sort of micro communities, everyone has, almost everybody has a platform of some kind to share their opinion. I mean, look what we're doing here right now. And so it is a choice to put yourself out there and to share that perspective and understand that even as a, you know, we, I, we, I lead an initiative, you have a small business owner, as you start your own company, like we, we have opinions to, to share and we can encourage others to get in, to engage and we may not all agree, but that is a, in my mind, a, a choice and a mindset. And so that's where I always go back to with ecosystem work and the community. Like you can't, in my opinion, hope that, you know, it's 2018, we're going to be voting very soon. Everyone should vote. Um, but in the meantime, how are we going to, what are we going to do to get to that? And then that's not going to be solved just by bringing in some new leaders or keeping with the way things are. It is about us as a community getting together and sharing our opinions and talking about them. So I do think I applaud you for doing what you're doing because it's putting yourself out there. It is infusing your brand with you, which can be complicated. But at the same time, it is sort of saying I have a platform and people are listening to me. So I'm going to share what. I think is important. And that's what I shared with my husband is like, you know, I, I've i gotten to a point where my name is recognized a little bit and the company's recognized. And when I get called, like from WCCO called me and said, would you be interested in speaking on behalf, on talking about your opinions on the whole minimum wage issue? You know, I said, yes, I would. But I, I also knew that it would rub a lot of people the wrong way. I kind of feel like those of us who have a platform to share our opinion it's our responsibility too to be able to speak to those divisive issues in a civil manner because there are some small business owners out there like after Donald Trump was elected pretty much said if you voted for Donald Trump you're not welcome here that is not a civil way to you know to behave as a small business owner or a person for that matter so i want to i want to be able to share with other people yes you might not share the same opinions i have but I'm going to hear you out and be civil about it and hear you um, hear your opinions. So it's kind of a responsibility as we grow as business owners and we get, get a little bit more um, recognized that we take that platform and treat it responsibly. The, um, well, you're kind of hitting on the core of what Synapse is. I mean, an organization that I co-founded. And our premise is that there's too, many, too much segmentation in the world and society. And so what happens is if you only hang around people like you, you don't know in a, any sophisticated sort of way what other people are like. And so therefore you, you label them and you stereotype them. And so our, our, our mission is to uh, form a community of all these different people, get them out of their silos and, and get to meet each other. I mean, um, hopefully people can talk civilly. I mean, at, at our events, I don't know. I'm sure we've had, Repo I know for sure we've had Republicans. Just a couple. <laughs> at our, yeah, <laughs> they don't. Some of them I know, but others might be unlabeled. Mm -hmm. But um, 
uh, that's got to be hope for a future, and it's a big problem because um, social harmony has got to be a key ingredient for an ideal future. For sure. You know, I think one of the reasons that we've had sort of this rise of civic instability and rise of Nazism and all of these sort of things are about artificial intelligence and robotics. So as we're going through a time period of change where our economy is completely um, changing and the the sort of equations that we use to determine how much a company is spending on labor and those sorts of things are completely changing as we speak, but we don't have enough conversations about that transformation. And so we have moved to a place where people still have old stories about what um, the instability that they're feeling is is about, and so the do you old, have an example? Yeah, so the old story is immigrants and people of color are taking our jobs, and the real story is artificial intelligence and robotics have changed the economy, and so if you have an old story, then you march around with the tiki torch and scream racist things. That's that's what happens because you don't have a um, you don't have an accurate story of what that transformation means. And I I've talked to a, a lot of sort of technological futurists that are really excited about um, advances in energy and water and really have a feeling in the next 20 years that we will have unlimited, abundant, almost free energy, which then leads to unlimited, abundant, almost free water because you're able to sort of clean and desalinate in ways that you couldn't before, which then leads to advances in agriculture. So we're right on the cusp of that. And my question for them is, what about the people part? And they say, we don't know if humanity is going to make it for those 20 years because Mm. of the way that we are sort of um, attacking each other in that process. And so I think as people, we need to have a longer view of understanding that we for sure are in this period of transformation. And being short-sighted actually has much larger consequences than it has in the past because the pace of change is so much faster. Right. Boy, climate change comes to mind. 100%. 100%. I mean, around the world, I mean, that's another uh, fragmentation is uh, people around the world. Y- Europe, as I understand it, is solidly concerned about climate change because it could mean the end of, you know, agriculture. For, is that a topic on your your Ag Week? So the way that we've structured Food Ag Ideas Week is that we, we are highlighting uh, themes or topics where Minnesota has a leading position from an innovation perspective. So uh, that climate change is, again, I would guess like GMOs or others, it's a topic that span underlies, every, I mean, whether it's water, it's food consumption, it's people. It's it. So, no, we don't have a dedicated hour on that, but it will be something that people talk about. I think as a food and agriculture community, we a lot of us rally around the idea of how are we going to feed the world in 2050 is a question that constantly comes up. How are we going to think about and wrestle with a lot of the issues that we're talking about at a global level, but also at a local level? So then you start thinking about what can I do? And when you start going, oh, my gosh, climate change, then it feels really big. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I have no say in this. But then you can say, well, maybe I'll meet with um, Tamara, who runs Homegrown Minneapolis and is a, you know brings a consortium of nonprofit, for-profit leaders together who focus on composting and recycling and and farmers farming communities locally and you go okay well I probably can't solve climate change on my own but I could get involved in a local level in this organization that is bringing communities together and experimenting and doing different things and so let's see what I can do there which could then be a gateway to other things so that's what we're we're trying to do is you have topics that are really big and we have we have some of those too 
But you also have organizations that are tackling a problem like climate change in Mm. their own way. And then you find your gateway into the community to help work on that. Boy, I happened to be traveling through uh, rural Minnesota a couple of months ago and uh, was with a friend who was selling products to uh, organic dairy farms. And there's where one of my old stereotypes kind of bit the dust because <clears throat> you think of uh, you know some barefoot hippies uh, growing uh, organic stuff and, and you get there, it's big business now. Yeah. There's a lot of people buying it, so they need to produce a lot of organic milk. Mm-hmm. So that's there, there are changes going on that, that city people don't know about. Oh, very true. And that's where we have a, a whole session on the conver- a conversation on the future of farming, which will have diverse farmers coming together, including um, Redheaded Creamery, which is a really wonderful, wonderful dairy farm that does um, great cheese products. But I think you're right in that, you know, you have sort of a Twin Cities thing and a greater Minnesota thing. And um, we're, we're bringing other groups in together to have that dialogue so that you challenge those notions and conceptions, because I think you said it very well that, you know, when you believe in old narrative you believe old tape you know there's tons of it like entrepreneurship looks really sexy and amazing it's like well ask ask you know how what the reality of that looks like um you know we can envision a future but we actually have to make it a reality so i think it is a little bit of how do we you know you've got all these stereotypes you've got all these things but we've got to start really meeting each other and talking about it in order for us to really see what the reality is like it's like we have to erase all those old stories and come up yeah, with they're fresh just ones. evolving and changing and coming up with fresh ones mm. and coming up with new ways to think about it. And my guess would be is when you go to that farm or you meet that entrepreneur, you're like, huh, that was different than I expected, and it probably is better well, i I think that's why there's going to be so much emphasis on innovation during a startup week mm-hmm. because that's it's devoted to innovation, these startups that are doing new things. How many new apps are we going to hear about in uh, between October 7th and 8th and, and uh, October 12th? New things happening in agriculture and food. Mm-hmm. New yeah. cookie recipes, Tina? We just rolled out a couple new ones this week. <laughs> what, kind, what kind? Oh, we threw an actual pumpkin pie into the cookie. So we have a pumpkin <laughs> pie cookie. Um, we did Perfect. some dill pickle cookies earlier this year. They, did, they were amazing. They were good? We paired them with Bloody Marys. Mm. Well, then anything's good. I mean, you could eat a you know, yeah. a, a old rubber tire in it. Maybe. Makes them good. Well, uh, we've run out of time, but now I'm all, uh, um, I'm ready to go start a new story. I've got to find a new story. I've got to get a new cookie. And let's see, your book comes out, The Future Good comes out, uh, Teresa Harris, on October 24th. Yep. So we'll try to... Uh, Try to read that one. We'll try to buy it and read it. Well, thank you for being here on this issue of Synapse Think Tank of the Air. Trista Harris, Tina Rexing, and Laura Pratton. Close enough. <laughs> and I'd like to thank uh, Dan Colhane, our producer for the day. And uh, once again, this is a co-production with WCCO Radio. Thank you for listening to Synapse. Think Tank of the Air. I'm Leo Espinosa. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.